Welcome to Growing Lensley. My name's Adam Streeter. I'm the General Manager of Lensley Gardens. Join me each episode as I talk with members of the team about everything from the history of the gardens, restoration challenges, wine, wallabies, and everything in between. Get a peek behind the scenes, hear stories from all those involved, both past and present, whilst we also talk about what the future holds for the estate. It's never a dull day when you're growing Lensley. Okay, so we are back in the main house at Lenersley Gardens, and uh, today I am joined by John Delport once again, head chef of uh, Restaurant Interlude, and um, this is number two, Ruan Pretorius. So um, we're going to kind of delve in. It's been a couple of years since um, Jean and I spoke last on the podcast, and um, we're going to sort of delve a little bit deeper into you know the world of Restaurant Interlude and a little bit more behind the scenes. Um, obviously, Jean, you've given us a little bit of your story uh, back in the day, but Ruan, hi, how are you doing? Yeah, very good, thanks. Yeah. Um, so uh, we, we kind of wanted to just find out, you know, people know, know about us by now, but, you know, you, you, you've came over from South Africa a few years ago now, then uh, kind of what, the, what your relationship was with Jean back then. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of a background on that? Oh, man. So been over here for five years. Uh, got here what three months before we started the restaurant, so so when that so that was now 2018. 2018 yeah. October, yeah. that's when we opened. You got here in about June. Uh, July. July. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's been five years since the very beginning. Um, obviously from South Africa. Yeah. Pretoria, born, but spent a lot of time in the in the wine region in Stellenbosch, Somerset West, and that's sort of where I met Jean in Stellenbosch at. Uh, Terra restaurant that, that's what 13 14 years ago now <laughs> it starts adding up quite quickly oh ages <laughs> ago and um, yeah we've always just been in touch um, so when Jean got this opportunity to come uh, that you and Penny have provided he um, for some reason thought of me <laughs> um, I was very glad that he did and yeah I mean my wife and I have moved over Mia moved over and it's it's been a journey it's been a what so, an adventure! And so, had you had you guys cooked together before? Had you had you actually worked together, or is it just kind of a you, you knew each other through the industry? No, no, no. We 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 probably worked together for initially for at least a year, and then maybe another six months down the line. Yeah, when I came back from Ireland, then we did. Yeah, that. I came back for six more months. Yeah. Yes, yes. So we just always stayed in touch. Yeah. Uh, similar souls, I guess. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's mad, actually. So you said that's how many years? About 14, 14 years or so. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about 20, 2010, 20, 2009, 2010. Yeah, it was 2010 South Africa yeah, FIFA World Cup. I always, <laughs> really? I always use that as a reference point yeah. in my life. It's <laughs> yeah. just like, okay, we can go from left or right to that. Before and after the yeah. World Cup. That's mad, actually, because if I think about it, that's when I met you in 2014. So that's almost been 10 years as well. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. I actually don't even know how... <laughs> Oh, that's happened. Um, okay, and 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 Ron, like you kind of why why did you decide to become a chef? What was your kind of um, you know was it was it was it the only thing left at the end of the day, or was there just always the kind of a passion there? Um, um, I'll always tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so the truth is, I will always hold my my old man, my dad, responsible. Um, initially, I went to study journalism and publishing. And then realized maybe all those deadlines are not quite for me. Um, 
and he was the one that suggested being a chef and and cooking and that's what it was so i think i started when i was 21 pre-elite chefs academy in south africa and haven't looked back since okay so if was it a last resort maybe (laughs) (laughs) i'll never know well i mean but you say i mean you didn't like all the kind of the deadlines of what you were doing before but i mean it's not like what you're doing now is a nice laid back um, (laughs) i think it's like in the kitchen it seems sort of very uh, it's very short term you can you get a lot of gratification from seeing the process with you start at the end of the day you can look back and you can actually just have a sense of fulfillment where i I think for me just sitting down by a desk and forcing Mm. yourself to write and forcing yourself to get through all this literature and read was was maybe better suited as a hobby, mm-hmm. um, which it was initially. Uh, and when it sort of started getting to a point of this is going to be my career, it just yeah. didn't make sense for me. I, I think I needed to do something with my hands and be a bit more um, active yeah. in, 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 a, in a working sense, I think. Well, you didn't realize we were going to get so deep, did you? You didn't realize <laughs> this was going to be like a therapy session to you. We're going to see if I, we're gonna get you crying by the end of it. No. <laughs> Um, so okay, well, so anyway, so you, you guys, so you got the call from Jean, you came over, you timed it nicely so that you came over in the summer, so you thought that England was just this beautiful, you know, blue skies, sunny place, you know, we, I'm sure over the years you found out it's kind of more, more grey and cold most of the time. Um, but, and then we got, we got into Interlude, and that, so that quickly kind of opened in, so that was October 2018, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and... You're you're basically Jean's number two in the kitchen, and how does that sort of dynamic work? What's uh, how does that how how do you kind of how does your days kind of split up? Is there certain things that, or or actually how did it start and how's it how's it changed over the years? I'm sure Jean would have his own view on this, but the way that I see it is, um, I try and do as much of the hands-on stuff as I possibly can to afford Jean a bit more time to um, keep the relationships going with the suppliers, whether it's by phoning or just, you know, greeting them when they come in or, um, you know, give Jean the time to spend with the the other guys in the kitchen Mm -hmm. so that his vision uh, for new dishes or for the day or for the menu long term gets, um, comes across really clearly to them. Mm -hmm. So whether it's it's me running out for a forage um, or helping with other bits in the kitchen, so that he can look after more important stuff. That's mm. sort of how I see my role at the moment. But you know, when the time is there, it's always nice yeah. to have Jean along for a forage and a walkabout mm. and getting the stuff done. Yeah, I mean, would it be fair to say that you guys have got um, kind of, y- you, you complement each other in that you've got sort of, you know, similar skills, but also different strengths as well, so that you're actually able to cover. Because I think, I, I know when I sort of ask you certain things, Jean, you would say, you know, there's, now, let me speak to Ruan about that because you know that's maybe something that he's got more of a you know it's more of his skill set or more of a passion for more knowledge and I guess that works vice versa so um, so it kind of works quite complementary yeah I think it works out really well because I mean like you say it balances out perfectly because I can kind of just I understand my day we don't even have to talk sometimes in the morning we just come in mm-hmm. and I know what Ruan's going to be doing I know what I need to do and then the guys are going um, and there's some mornings where I'll say, okay, well, actually, I've got loads of time on hand. Give me, give me the, give me some of the stuff to do, and then freeze him up to kind of prepare, 
trip away for the rest of the week. Okay. I think the main thing is that we just have that kind of under, that base understanding that's very difficult. It's not something that you can just like work yeah. together with people. You, it's either instant or it's not. Yeah. Um, and I think we have a very good understanding of the same base goal for everything we do. So no matter what we have to do, like if we have to substitute in, I have to jump in there, or he jumps in there, it all kind of works out. Mm. Uh, um, sounds like yeah. a good foundation for like a strong team so yeah. no matter kind of what other changes there are in the team you you know you guys having that foundation um i guess allows you to kind of press on forward no matter what so it's really good but i mean so i guess getting into kind of what this is is, is about is, is more we wanted to focus on you know what interlude is and kind of the, the bit of the background behind it um so i mean for those that haven't listened to the podcast previously when we spoke i mean just a little bit of a, a background on you know what is restaurant interlude why why did it you know why did it come about in, in this way um what's the vision yeah i mean i think we don't want to bore too many details with this but i mean the main focus of interlude was kind of an opportunity for us to kind of cook the food that we're really passionate about um and in a setting that's like well deserved for what we want to do um and ultimately once Leonard's lee came across i mean automatically became about the restaurant and then it's really kind of symbiosis in together so I think with um, the restaurant just having that grounding for something that I think we've always done like a la carte style food and stuff in the past um, and small tasty menus on the side but I don't know my real love is kind of finer details um, perfecting as much as we can to a certain degree on, on some things and being able to predict exactly what we need to do mm-hmm. um, and we get a real fine balance and a real I think really gen- normally a really good uh, product at the end. So mm-hmm. for us to be able to cook on a fine detail like we do and focus on small things was kind of the, always the goal. Um, and then it kind of just played hand in hand with the initial idea and then the gardens being so diverse and what they can do. That interlude was kind of born. Yeah. And what, and kind of, I mean, what, did you have any inspiration? I mean, uh, is it, or, you know, maybe that's changed over the, over the years, but you know, inspirations growing up and when you were first a young chef, people that you would kind of look up to that maybe um, influenced, you know, getting into not only fine dining, but then into, you know, the longer tasting courses that we were doing here at Interlude. Um, you know, who, who, who would you say you guys look up to? I think it, that for me changes over time. So yeah, sure. when I was younger in South Africa, it was always the big thing of like being in Europe or being in America and following those big name chefs. Um, I think the big thing for uh, or for me, especially, and I think Ron has a similar feeling is that when we got to the UK, that was the big adjustment level, like, We've grounded here. We are amongst like these top names now, mm. and it's like, we, okay, we can still look up to them, and they still inspire us. But we have to still do our own thing. Yeah. Um. So th- I think from that point, a lot of my food here has kind of changed. So I always have the same basis of like Marco Pierre White, like kind of being the old real grandfather Thomas cooking Keller. Thomas Keller, um, following that simple, clean style of stuff. But um, once we hear, I think things are s- they're so rapid nowadays with social media and stuff. It changes so quickly that. I think we just have to kind of, we've taken our own unique feel and we're just going to run with that now. Mm. Um, it's still good to get inspiration from people like all around. I mean, younger guys, older guys. Yeah. I mean, it's a complete mixture nowadays, I think. Yeah, and I think obviously social media and just that kind of instantly being able to see things as they're happening in the world, you kind of must see so many different, you know, get so many ideas on a daily basis. It actually must be quite hard to kind of temper, make sure that you're not just kind of chopping and changing all the time because... You know, I think there's so much, um, you know, there's so many things that could influence you out there that it must be quite tricky to you know, keep it all in one place. You definitely have to filter through a lot mm. of things, and um, it's it's seeing things that excite you as a chef 
as a person, but then also realizing how that would fit in or possibly not fit into what we do. I think for, for me, it's always been quite inspiring seeing um, how the seasons change with this massive, you know, the gardens and the estates around us um, and seeing new wild ingredients come out and uh, trying to plan ahead for when it's going to be birch season, when it's going to be wild garlic. And you just need, there's these, these things that you have to wait for every year. That's quite exciting, I yeah. find. It's, um, is that different to, to Cape Town and South Africa? Do you get the, do the seasons kind of, are they, I don't think, you know, living out there, I don't think I felt the seasons were quite as strong as they are here. You know, I think here there's four very clear and distinct seasons where well, they always say Cape Town, you can get four seasons in one day. That's, that's true. I think South Africa for me has always been a little bit more extreme. So the cold is a bit more mm. harsh, not necessarily colder, but harsher in the sense that the, the plant life that you have there just doesn't grow as well and then um summertime obviously it gets scorching hot mm. so i think as far as wild ingredients go it's you do find some and you definitely have in cape town you have the mushroom seasons and everything but not nearly as extensive as over here and then just the whole process of learning all of that with uh, a wild food expert and by reading and exploring and tasting and <laughs> it's mm. just it's been such an adventure and I think since I've been here, that's sort of where most of my thought pattern comes from as opposed to other restaurants and chefs, which is still very exciting. But I think it's more a seasonally driven, ingredient driven um, experience for me and a, and a thing that I'd like to really get you know passionate about and knowledgeable about. Was that something that you guys had to kind of concentrate quite learn a lot about the, the UK coming over here and that kind of that big difference between the two was there kind of a big learning curve there kind of or and actually kind of opening that up a little bit more is um, you know were there things that you just you know weren't as you expected or were just very different that you had to kind of you know figure out from day one of opening the restaurant to a year later were there certain things that you guys had to change or you know that were just completely different I think you can split that up into two ways. You can do a food side of that things mm. and then an HR point of view on those other things. I think on the food side of things, we could anticipate a fair amount, um, kind of research and build things up and kind of have a basic idea in our head. I mean, our basic idea has changed a lot since we first started. I think within that first year, we, we eventually kind of molded. But now we kind of know where our sweet spots are, what we should really work on in, and play on our strengths. In what sort of way? What would you think, say has changed the, the, the most since when you first opened? I think it's un and just being comfortable with how we cook. I think that was quite tricky. So we picked up from the cooking like in a certain way in South Africa to coming here and now we placed amongst these big names and big restaurants and we've got to still be able to attract people and stand out. But being comfortable in ourselves saying, oh, well, actually, I've always cooked it like this. This is what we're good at. This is what I want to do here. We don't necessarily have to copy all these top places no. because that's not our style. And I think getting past that point of in your head and being comfortable with ourselves. And I think we're just comfortable as now what we put out to offer and it's easier to change things up and move things around um, as opposed to initially. I think that's, but that's just always gonna be a gradual process whenever you open a place. Mm. I think for me, the hardest part was behind the scenes and HR and getting um, just getting a team together, understanding working life in the UK. I think that, that was for me a, l a lot more different. Yeah. And I think that was the more challenging part for me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how you feel, Ron. Um, in, a, in a personal sense, because obviously you did a lot of the, um, Jean did a lot of the 
the admin even before I got here for the first six months and he had a lot of um, stuff already planned. So in a sense, I was very lucky to miss some of that. Sure. But then um, I think in a personal sense, just settling in a new country is always, mm. you've lived in South Africa for mm. a bit and it's, it's, there are some challenges to it. And obviously there's some things that are very exciting, but it does take a lot of your personal time to get that sorted. And then also on the side, finding good suppliers for, for work and reliable good produce for work is always interesting <laughs> yeah no, i think um i think yeah like i we probably could go into that quite quite a long way but i mean i mean moving to a, a, a different country i think you have to um yeah there's, there's big changes there and you know just and like i say it's not just from a, a work a aspect it's from a personal um you know, point of view as well so i mean i think you guys have done very well to yeah get, get accustomed to the english way i know there's certain things that you probably you know still miss from south africa but i always think you know when i when i lived in south africa there was sort of there's a big change there and then i got to a point where actually you know i loved south africa and you know could never think of coming back to the uk now you know back in the uk and there's this equally there's things that i miss in south africa but things that i probably wouldn't you know want to have with, you know live without from the uk so um i don't know i don't think you can ever have it both ways but um i guess here you know what we where we are at, at Leonardsley, I think that allows us to do, you know, what allows you guys to do um, what you're doing with the restaurant. So, I mean, so obviously kind of focusing on Leonardsley a little bit more, um, that kind of plays a big role in the kind of philosophy behind the food and, you know, obviously sustainability is a real big thing in the world at the moment. How how does that kind of go through your head and what you what you do at the moment? Um, I th I mean, it's, it's a general movement at the moment, isn't it? So I think a lot of people are pushing towards the same goal. Um, I think that's, that's obviously quite key because there's, no, there's not really going to be much of a change. I think for us, again, we have to try and do it in what's feasible for the restaurant and what's feasible for the estate. Mm. Um, and so we've always done gradual things. I think since we started, yeah, what, four, five years ago now, yeah. um, we've always th you've always had that long-term goal in, in the back of your mind. It might not have been possible like in the first two years, but after that, it's definitely got going. So I think we're in a similar boat. So year after year, we try and take things away and move move away from things and just make it way more sustainable, I guess, in a, in, in a, in a running environment, mm. whether it's cutting back on plastic, using less water, mm. um, to local kind of what we want to do as much as possible. So kind of keeping that in, in tabs. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. What, what's, what do you what's, think? What's the, what's the saying in South Africa? Local is lecker. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish we had more local stuff. I mean, obviously, we're quite yeah. lucky where we are. We're in the countryside, and there's a lot of farming regions around us. But um, there can always be more and more. And th I think since we started, we've come across a lot more people starting up and doing smaller things on the side. But I think people have also found it quite tough and a challenge that it's not sustainable to be able to just keep growing on a small basis and then right. selling it to people. So it becomes more of a side hobby while they have other interests. So it's finding that balance and where we can get enough produce and things like that from. And is it, it must kind of be quite tricky to get that balance because you obviously have ideas of, of things that you want to be doing in terms of dishes that you'd like to be focusing on but actually then you've still got to work that into what is available what is available seasonally locally and that must have an influence on what you're able to do so does it is it kind of more that your the, the dishes and the whole experience is driven by um you know your ideas that you're coming up with or is it driven by what is out there what is what is local in terms of the ingredients i'd say it's a collective of of both of those i think we try and say obviously the gardens does drive 
a lot of what we do. But we've also over now the last four years kind of understood what we can get from the garden. So for instance, we won't just keep something on for like two, three weeks. We'd actually take that main ingredient and try and work it and preserve it or keep it in a way that it can last us for three, four months at a time rather than just getting a quick two-week window out of it. Mm. Um, but then there is some stuff that is very much, you can't do anything with it, for two, and then you've got like a window of two, three weeks, which is quite fun. So we've got a nice yeah. balance. But obviously, I mean, winter and the kind of end of winter, beginning of spring here, is, there's, a, there's quite a dormant period where not much happens. So mm. we've got to keep that in mind. So we try and obviously keep a lot of stuff in summer now where there's abundance of things. And autumn to kind of keep us going till then as well. And what what sort of um, kind of techniques do you use to, to to allow you to do that to kind of preserve things longer into the into the winter? What? So, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, Ron, you can start off with this one. It's, it's like a very um, almost a Scandinavian approach. Okay. Where just where they're in the caves. There's not many natural caves <laughs> around here on the estates, unfortunately. But it's um, it's just the whole process of putting in the work, getting these things, and whether it is turning it into an oil that we can just use throughout the year, or whether it is preserving it or fermenting it. Um, we do some smoking, so anytime we have uh, deer coming in, we'll keep the nicest cuts of the uh, deer for the venison dishes, uh, and obviously make stocks and sauces, even garums now. Um, What's that, sorry? Garum. Oh yeah, you're going to have to uh, expand on that one slightly. I don't know what that is. So garum is what's from Japan. Yeah, it's like traditional um, Japanese old style. So, I mean, it's the same way that they would make soy sauce. Soy sauce, okay. Um, but it's pretty much a fermented sauce, really. So you would take, so for instance, at the moment, we've got a snail garum on. Um, so snail we've taken snails um, and pretty much salted and brined it with um, equal quantities of different whatever we want to use. Um, adding salt and then the koji base um, and then fermenting it for, I think we did six months for that one. Wow. Yeah. That's what, 60 keep it at what, 64, 64 degrees. degrees. Yeah. Doesn't sound like the kind of thing you'd put with your sushi though. Well, you'd be surprised. Oh. It's actually <laughs> you, you could. Yeah. You could. Yeah. Uh, at the moment we have a wonderful venison broth that we flavor up with venison garum that we have just to add a bit of depth and um, um, more complexity to it. But, you know, whether it is salting and curing and smoking for you know, the, the race of the venison, for brisola, for biltong, which is also obviously South African cured um, meats and stuff. There's just so many techniques mm. and it's, it's always exciting to, um, to explore that and to start new things like the koji, um, which is pretty much growing mold. Yeah, that tastes really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we need to kind of you know go too far into mold that we're eating, but no, it's I mean it's it's crazy. It's, it's it, I think um, I think a lot of people came and spent a, a day or a week in in the kitchen with you guys. I think they'd be really surprised at kind of what you're able to do with ingredients and how how far you're able to stretch them. And, um, I think that kind of that's that's got to be one of the things that is probably most exciting for chefs that come and work in the kitchen surely because it's um you know you're not just buying in ingredients and you know not not to say that, that can't be exciting in its own way but it's just you know it puts a whole other spin on it and look at it from a whole other point of view so well, it's, it's very exciting so i mean it, that along with you know obviously you, you guys do um you do the the afternoon teas as well in the house and then you do restaurant interludes in in the evenings um so it's a, it's, a, it's a lot that you, you're, you're doing. So that kind of getting that balance between, you know, actual service and getting the food out to actually 
prepping, foraging, and, 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 and working with these ingredients to be able to preserve them whilst also you know, experimenting and, and reading up on, on new things. It's, um, it must be quite a, a hard balance to, to get. How do, you, how do you kind of do that? I suppose it's just, just <laughs> survive <laughs> just run around <laughs> like crazy no i mean most of the days are planned out we kind of understand what needs to be done at what time now so so, so run us through kind of a, a kind of i think a, we should take us through like day. an average day yeah, really yeah. so i'd say like a thursday is like a proper first day back of the week so it's quite a quite a run around day so everybody's really focused i think the key thing there is it's it's the team effort really it's not like us just doing everything mm. it's just it's, it's impossible so everybody has a role and everybody knows what to do and it gets to the five o'clock in the evening and it's like, okay, we're almost ready now, we can go. But I mean, it starts early. I mean, we start at about seven um, on a Thursday morning um, and it's quickly getting tea stuff done, um, running around. I think we, we, we normally have a good two hour session of prep um, for afternoon tea, get it, most of the stuff done by nine. And then yep. it's another two hours of assembling everything. Um, and that's kind of done then by about 11. Yep. Um, and while we're doing that, the rest of the team has started already and they, they're prepping and they're only solely focusing on dinner. Mm -hmm. So um, afternoon tea is obviously one of the things that we offer in the house, but it's kind of separated from interlude. And so we have a slight division in the team when it comes to doing what in the kitchen. So they help us with small bits and bobs, but their main focus is to get ready for dinner. So while we're getting ready for tea, um, we'll be keeping an eye on them. Um, and they'll be doing, again, intense, quite quick cooking with getting things ready. But like you said, like we chat about preserving stuff. So a lot of our stuff is processed, um, sometimes thought out for like three, four weeks ahead. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the prep that takes a place for some of these dishes needs to be two weeks ahead, really. Um, and so it's a constant thing. So there's obviously everything that needs to be done fresh daily, but there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes. It's like a constant, gradual thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think by about 11 o'clock, we try and aim to have all these goals done. Um, Ron's normally quite focused and really not no one's really speaking on a Thursday morning <laughs> it's really weird like you, you judge the kitchen on a Saturday Sunday compared to a Thursday and it's completely different workspace but it's just kind of having that focus to get things ready um, and then I'd say we try and if we can we try and get outside before tea starts um, run would run and we carry on setting things up and getting tea ready um, I think the tea the goal for tea I mean this is not even the pastry side of things they kind of he comes in at about half five in the morning the afternoon tea pastry chef um, and there's, I mean there's a lot of detail and small work that comes in there yeah. um, and get try and get most of the baking done and kind of preparations done before the team's in so the ovens are free so his day will start even earlier at half past five mm. um, and then he has to aim to get ready by 12 o'clock really mm. um, it's um tea is is very very hands-on mm -hmm. but at the same time it's quite good knowing that while my attention and focus is on tea for the majority of the well, the whole morning and majority of the afternoon, it's nice to know that they you, know, you have the rest of the guys that you can trust and rely on. Some some of them has been here for a few years, and other guys have just joined us brand new. But the way that they come along in leaps and bounds and um, buy into the whole vision and the philosophies and stuff, it's, it's quite nice knowing that behind the scenes they are still there. And when I get done with tea, or when we are done with tea that um, the kitchen will be at a certain sort of completion of prep and you, you, you just know, you just know while you're busy with one thing, what each person in the kitchen is doing without even having to look. Mm. So in a sense, that's, that's a massive relief. And um, 
definitely makes you proud sometimes yeah. to know that these these guys are like there. And um, I mean, so service starts at what what sort of time? I think we're, we we aim to be ready at five half past five, mm -hmm. and then roughly expecting the first guests at six o'clock. Yeah, and then I mean, that, for for those that haven't been to Insulute, so I mean that consists of anywhere up to twenty plus courses over from from seven o'clock onwards, doesn't it? So that's I mean that just gives. You know, for anyone that's cooked a, a dish at home, you know, a home chef, you know, cooking one dish, you know, you can imagine then just multiplying that by extremely com much more complicated dishes um, over over 20. That kind of sees you can see where the whole day goes to then and chuck in, you know, a, 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 an amazing afternoon tea as well, just to top it all off. So, um, and so um, when when does service normally finish for you guys? The evening service would normally finish around about 11. Um, I'd say last desserts, we'll try and get them out by half past ten if we can. Yes. Um, don't want to keep the guests too long. Um, so that Thursday's a long day? Yeah, I think most of the days are quite long. Um, it's just that we have, obviously we have processes, so for different days we'll process different things and mm -hmm. have a schedule. But the Thursday's just a bit of that extra push because it's all from scratch on that on the day. Um, but again, a lot of the stuff is on scratch every other day, but there's just a, there's a process behind it all. But um, yeah, I think on average we'd finish at about 11, 12 at midnight. Um, so it, it becomes a long day, yeah. especially if you have to do it consecutively for a good few days. Yeah, and I mean, obviously tiring and then also kind of just kind of reproducing those, those high standards consistently. I mean, that's why, you know, that's why you get the awards. That's why things like the, you know, Michelin stars exist is to recognize that because I think it's too easy sometimes to kind of think, oh, you know, that, that was nice food, that was a nice experience, but actually the hard work and the effort that goes into it, um, you know, can't be underestimated. So, I mean, touching on that, that was, you know, within the first year of opening. So um, you got your, your first Michelin star. So that must have been amazing I mean um, what do you what do you think what do you put that down to do you think that's kind of what what do you need to do to be able to to hit those kind of heights consistency for me is the biggest thing consistency and, and having a clear vision of what we want to do also think in a sense we were also fortunate that someone like Michelin would come in and see they would see what what not saying how do you, how do you put it like we were good then but everything is way more streamlined, more yeah. confident now. I think we are way better than we were in our opening year, which mm. makes a lot of sense. But yeah. just to have the inspectors in and to be able to see the story and to, mm. to see the philosophy that we want to create, but also seeing a part of our culture on the plates mm. is quite nice to, to just have that understanding in a sense. Yeah. And for them to see the bigger picture, seeing that we are actually going somewhere. Um, you know, we've we've put out a plan and we've trusted the process, and so far, so good. But there's better <laughs> to come for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. for sure. No, I mean, I think, um, yeah, like you say, kind of seeing your culture on the plate. I think quite that's quite a, you know, especially for someone that lived in South Africa. I kind of I love the the, the mixture between um, you know dishes that involve ingredients from the UK, but then you also have these these dishes which you know that. What, what 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 are your favourite kind of South African spins that are on some of the dishes or have been on some of the dishes? Because I you know I see some of them and I don't want to butcher them by trying to say some of the <laughs> names actually. But um, but you know what what would you say? So any South Africans listening, what's the, your your spin on some of them? It gets quite tricky because we've always we always have a constant base. I always want to have like two or three, four maybe um, touch of touch of home bases. Mm. 
um, if we get start getting a bit too much, then I think sometimes it detracts also away from from yeah. the garden. So it's quite we have to find that balance. Um, but I mean, people get quite angry because we say, oh, we have this on, and it's like, well, but why is it off now? I was like, well, <laughs> we want to grow and we want to take things off and mm. move it around and stuff. So it's quite fun. But I think one of the ones that's been on the menu for a long time now is the Fed Cook. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just found the way of processing it in our way that's quite nice and it's still like a nice little tribute to home so um, for, for you know the 99% of people that don't know what that is <laughs> <laughs> so directly translated it means fat cake um, it's, I suppose it's almost a style of donut more of a savoury donut um, and we serve it with potted lobster and wild garlic from, from the estate um, which is quite nice and the garlic's done in three different ways um, that we preserve so we're using last season's garlic still Obviously, we just started processing this year's stuff, but it's quite a nice way. So it's something that we can have all year round almost um, if, mm-hmm. we, if we're clever with the way we process it. But um, just the combo of that, with, uh, I mean, it's like a, just a really nice Moorish <laughs> donut that you just can't stop eating, I think. You've given me a really good idea for a future podcast episode. We, we eat in real time. And you, oh, could, right. and you could describe each of the each of the dishes, and uh, you know I can eat them. <laughs> you can eat them. <laughs> it's going to be a bit of ASMR. Oh, so we'll get some we'll get some cameras in. I don't care. I'll get some fat fit good fit good around my face. <laughs> um, okay, and I mean, so you know, we're we're into our fifth year now, right? I'm not going that long. Yes. Yeah, into yeah. our fifth year. So, I mean. You know, we've got we've got lots of plans that we kind of um, got in place for the future, but you know, which we, I think we'll we'll touch on once we start getting things firmed up a little bit more. But um, you know, where 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 do you think in the last couple of years have been the, the big changes? Obviously, I, I mean, kind of answering slightly for you, but obviously we've brought the rooms in now, so we've got you know ten uh, you know really high end rooms that kind of I think really. Um, well with, with with what you're doing in the restaurant and it, it kind of can create this whole experience of people that are not just coming for an evening they can now come for you know a weekend and enjoy themselves um you know is that do you see that's a kind of really the way that interlude needs to go is it kind of become a destination yeah i think where we situated it's automatically become that almost from the beginning that we were always going to be that destination we initially maybe didn't cater enough for that, and now we've obviously grown mm. and we've become this place now where it's actually a proper destination. So the restaurant's obviously a massive factor for us. Um, it's what we care a lot about and the details, but to have the rooms with it and have the gardens and the way they are right now is just absolutely amazing. So we can attract people from further away, which is key for us, yeah. um, and keep keep on having some fresh young faces and old faces and just a whole collective really of people that want to come and enjoy what we're doing. Um, and having that visual aspect of people understanding, okay, well, we're coming to eat, and then the next day going and seeing where we've gotten mm. all these bits and bobs from mm-hmm. and understanding of the whole estate rather than just a small chunk of it, I think is quite cool. Yeah. But, I mean, I think the way we, the w- style of our restaurant is always going to be that kind of destination, special occasion style. Um, come and enjoy yourself. It's not something that you, we've ever wanted, something that you can just come and have a quick meal no. and leave. It's not what we want. We want people to come here and unwind and just relax and we take you away for four or five hours at a time. Yeah. Um, and having those rooms just helps a lot because what's better than just having a lovely experience and just waddling up the stairs and then <laughs> crashing for the night. Yeah, and you're definitely waddling after 20 <laughs> courses. And, but it's, 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 you're, you're right though, because people can go and they can um, you know, walk around the gardens. Obviously the, the, the English wine is now at the point where we're almost a year away from launching that, so we'll have our you know, Engl- Eng- Lennersley English sparklings. We've got the vineyards out there. 
And these are all things that can be um, put together in terms of a, a, you know, a packaged weekend away, isn't it? You can come here, you, know, you could have afternoon tea, you could go for a walk around the gardens, you can come and do a wine tasting, stay overnight, and then come and have you know, dinner at Interlude the next evening. And you know, there's, it's kind of, well, you could easily spend a lot longer than two nights here, couldn't you? So I think, um, I think that's the next steps for, for the experience anyway, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're always constantly building and trying to make it way more of a guest experience and like a whole immersion of what we're doing rather so they can just, you know, I want it to be something, not just a meal that they had and a night stay. It needs to be something that they remember six months down the line, a year down the line, and just say, wow, that was actually really nice. Mm. I really want to go do that again or just keep sending us their friends because, I mean, that's kind of where we've always been really strong at. It's, it's our word of mouth and people really enjoying it and bringing, coming again and bringing fresh guests and they bring more people and they bring more people. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we are a bit of a hidden gem, I think, at sometimes. Yeah. I think it's just getting us out there a little bit more. Yeah, so it's good. It's good to be a hidden gem, just not too hidden. Yeah, so well, that's it's the thing. getting that, that <laughs> fine balance, isn't it? Okay. Um, all right, guys. Well, I think that's um, kind of a pretty, pretty comprehensive way of, of covering Interlude and a little bit about yourselves as well. I mean, I know I think um, one thing we want to cover in a little bit more detail is, is foraging and, I mean, there is literally books on foraging, isn't there? So, I mean, that's how much we could go into it. Um, but I think, you know, that's the sort of thing that really, um, you know, can set us apart from somewhere such as, a, you know, a restaurant in, in London, for example. Um, it's, it's that kind of foraging aspect. And I know it's been a, a big learning curve for you guys as well over the years. So, you know, I think, um, you know, maybe if you guys come back and do another episode and we can chat a little bit about foraging. Yeah. That'll be fun. Definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, yeah, maybe you can bring me some things that you foraged and we can... No, actually, no, it's fine. After John tried to kill me once. <laughs> 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 All right, well, thanks a lot, guys. Cool. Thanks, thanks very, very much. much.